Romans chapter 14, dealing with differences. Man, we are all a little weird, right? We're all a little weird. Uh, We are all the weird uncle in somebody's family, right? We're all the weird aunt, the weird cousin, whatever you want to be. We are all a little different. And you know, the the sooner we uh, admit that, number one, and the sooner we become comfortable with that, number two, we'll enjoy life a little bit. I I don't have to be like everyone else. I can be different. Uh, If if you're a parent this morning, uh, depending on how old your kid is, and probably from the youngest uh, as far as maybe school-age kids, all the way up to uh, those of you that are parents and grandparents in here, maybe of adult children and others. You, can, you, you understand what I mean by that, getting your, your children to understand that it's okay for them to be different, it's okay for them to be themselves and to be unique, and you'll have to be like everybody else. And, and so sometimes we get that really good in like our practical living, like in our kind of fleshly living, but sometimes we don't get it so good in our spiritual living, in our spiritual life, in our life as a follower of Jesus, and we become very adamant that people that are different than we are should be the same as we are. And I say that's a, it's one of two things. It's either a really boring life to live or it's a cult. It's one of the two. Um, so what, what did my buddy say? If you, if you walk into a church, everybody looks the same, dresses the same, talks the same, and acts the same, run. Because you may have stepped into a cult. Okay, so, so that's not the point. The point is today that we as a church celebrate our differences uh, we are still unified, but we understand that we are not in necessarily unison, but we are in harmony as a church. And so this is the final series. We have unpacked Romans 14, and I do want to encourage you, if you have not been able to be here uh, during this series, I believe it's been five or six weeks uh, that we've been in Romans 14, I want to encourage you to go back and, and listen through some of those messages maybe that you missed. But we've, we've spoken about how to deal with people that believe differently on things that are not essential. They're not the blood of Jesus. They're not the virgin birth of Christ. They're not the resurrection as we highlighted this morning. How do we deal with people that are different? And last week we spoke about how to get along with our brothers and sisters. And we spoke and gave a warning to those that have a little bit more freedom in their life. And we, we warn the freer, the stronger Christian, the stronger brother not to despise those who have more rules and regulations and boundaries set up in their life. And then we exhorted those that are a little weaker in the faith and need more boundaries. They can't do this and they won't do this and they won't do that because they're weak in certain areas. Not to judge those who have freedoms in certain areas of their, of their Christian life. That's what Paul tells the, the, the Romans here in, in, this, in his book, in his letter. And so today, I'm simply titling today's message this, fully convinced, okay, fully convinced, developing personal guardrails. This is going to be somewhat of a topical ending to this, what I hope was a textual um, series, where I really felt like we tried to break down Romans 14. I hope, the Lord knows I hope the next time you read Romans 14, you have a much better grasp and an understanding and you think back to this series, you're like, yeah, let me go back through that in my heart. But fully convinced, developing personal guardrails. Let me read our text this morning and then I'll intro the thought for today. Romans 14 in verse 5, if you have your Bible, great. If you do not, words will be on the screen. One person, verse 5, 
esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. We've read this verse numerous times. But here's our text phrase this morning. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Fully convinced in his own mind. Every person that claims to be a follower of Jesus should have some guardrails in place in their life that they are fully convinced are needed in their life. They, I believe every mother and father, every parent in this room should have some things that they are fully convinced of and some guardrails as a result of that that they put in place in their lives. Now, certainly those guardrails morph over time. Those guardrails adjust as life happens. Those guardrails change maybe as a parent when your child goes from, you know, cute little four-year-old and two-year-old girls to an eighth grader and a sixth grader. Lord, help me. Those things morph a little bit, and I'm sure... There's a big jump from 14 and 12 to 16 and 14. I'm ready for that one. Lord, help me. Only thing I'm looking forward to is like, hey, run to the grocery store and pick this up real quick. Go to Chick-fil-A. Don't hit anything in the drive-thru. But we all must be convinced of certain guardrails needed in our lives at different stages of our life. And today I want to help you As we decide, okay, here's what the Bible says. Here's the principle that I pull from that. And then here's the practical that I live. Is that, do you understand? Like, here's what the Bible says. Here's the truth, the principle that I pull from that. Okay, if the Bible says this, then, and I'm going to give you some examples. Believe me. And then as a result of that, here are some practical guardrails I'm going to place in my life. How do we do that? Okay? So, the first thing we must understand is that if we decide to put these guardrails in our life without understanding grace and without understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means to us, then we will become a legalist as quickly as possible. We will turn into one of those church people who not only uh, have put up the standards and, the, and, the, and the, the rules and regulations in their own life, but they then impose those on other people. And they make other people live by their personal standards. And we don't want that. So how do we guard against it? The book of Romans actually helps us. And I'm just going to do this very quickly as our introduction. The gospel must inform our guardrails. Okay, the gospel. Here's why. Romans 1. The theme of the first chapter of Romans, our only hope in our sin is the gospel. It begins with our sin, the depravity of man. Our only hope is the gospel. Romans chapter 2, the law brings nothing but condemnation. Listen, if you want to live by the law, you're going to die by the law. If you're going to try to keep the law, you're going to fail. Romans 3, the gospel is righteousness apart from the law. There is a greater law, there's a greater righteousness than the law. Romans 4 and 5, kind of together, we are justified by grace through faith. By the way, if you make me choose, Romans 5 is my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. Romans 6, the gospel gives us freedom from sin. 
Notice all these themes of the gospel. The gospel. Romans 7, another awesome passage from Paul. The struggle of living in freedom. You know Romans 7? I want to do this, but I keep on doing that. And I don't want to do that, and I keep on doing it. And Romans chapter 8, life renewed in the spirit. It's renewed in the spirit. The Holy Spirit really focused there. In Romans 9, faith in Christ alone saves. It is not of your doing. It is all of his. Romans 10, the gospel includes verbal confession. It should be something that is professed from our lips and from our lives and from our actions. Romans 11, the remnant remains. There were those that, were, uh, that, that, that had been outcast and pushed aside from the nation of Israel and they, they remain God's people. Romans 12, we know this chapter very well, living sacrifices of service. How can we serve? Now, you see how we've cha- we're starting to change? The gospel, gospel foundation all through chapter 10. Now here we are in chapter 12, living sacrifices of service. We begin to say, hey, we spent 10 chapters pounding the gospel into you, and now let us give you some opportunities to live out the gospel. Verse thir- uh, chapter 13 Submission to authorities. Oh, you mean the go- oh the gospels? Oh, wait a minute. Romans fourteen, where we're at, the strong and the weak. Also, we have to interact with people. The gospel walks us down this path. Romans fifteen and sixteen, unity among the believers as it closes out the letter. Do you see this morning if the book of Romans started in chapter twelve? Living sacrifices of service. And then it went to Romans 13, submitting to authority. And then it went to Romans 14 where we're at saying, hey, the strong and the weak, you guys need to stop judging each other and stop despising each other. Do you see how if we teach these things void of Romans 1 through 10, the gospel, how they become oppressive? They become a weight and a burden. But if we understand Romans 1 through 10, I believe we can understand Romans 14. The strong and the weak. Paul, in this book of Romans, more so than any book, walks the believer through the gospel. You guys remember gospel tracts? One of the most famous gospel tracts, little pieces of paper with the gospel on them in simple form. One of the most simple ones that was ever written was called the Romans Road. And literally every verse that was explaining the gospel was from the book of Romans. You know why? Because this book clearly explains the gospel. I want us this morning, with that being our backdrop... To hear some truths about how the gospel should identify these things. And then I want to give you a practical how-to to to close us out today. It's very simple this morning. Very simple. Let's pray together and I'm going to dive in. Heavenly Father, speak through your word. God, I just want to help today. God, I understand today is more teachy than preachy. And that's fine, God. I want us to learn something today. And I believe that the truth from your word this morning can and will help us and transform our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what does this teach us? What does 
Paul walking through the book of Romans the way that he did? What does the truth that before we can establish all of these guardrails and these kind of regulations in our life that are needed in many, at many times, uh, what do we need to know first? And here's what we need to know. Number one, guardrails with no gospel is bondage. Guardrails with no gospel is bondage. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 tells us this, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves uh, slaves to obey, you, uh, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. If you're not careful this morning without the gospel and, and leading you to righteousness, you will develop guardrails in your life that will only bring bondage. If you do not have a, go- a grasp this morning of the grace of God and what he has done in your life and how, how Jesus uh, came and, and lived the perfect sinless life that you couldn't live, the life that you fail to live every day. If you don't have a grasp of what Jesus did in coming and living your life for you, the perfect life, and dying the death on the cross that you deserve to die because the wages of sin is death and you're a sinner and you should have to die and you should have to be put on the cross and you should have to die for your sin. But the truth of the gospel says that Jesus did it for you and he didn't just stay dead but he was buried and as we, as we sang about this morning, he rose again on the third day in victory and triumph. If we don't understand the truth of the gospel this morning, we will place guardrails in our lives and we will simply be in bondage. In bondage. It will just be rules and regulations and, and our question will be, well, why can't I do this and why can't I do that? And I don't understand. If we put up guardrails with no gospel, we live in bondage. Here's what it looks like. When you place guardrails in your life without the gospel of grace as its theme, here's what it looks like. If you put up a successful guardrail and you stay within the guardrail, you become self-righteous. I did it. I did it. Whatever it was, I placed this barrier in my life and I did not move past that barrier. I did it. And here's, what, here's the other cycle. If you place the barrier in your life and you step through the barrier and you mess up, what does it lead to? Guilt. Immediately. And may I just say this? Both self-righteousness and guilt are both sin. They're both sin. And may I say this morning, the danger of placing guardrails in your life without an understanding of the grace that Jesus offers through the gospel is that you're going to either be very self-righteous when you live right and you do right and you read your Bible that week and you pray that week and you send that text to that person that week and you give that $5 to that person on the street corner that week and you do all these little things and you're going to feel so good about yourself and you're a prideful, arrogant follower of Jesus. Or... Man, I completely whiffed this week. I didn't spend time with the Lord like I ought to, and I kicked that barrier down. And Man, that dude on the street that was asking for money, I didn't give him any money, and man, I feel, didn't do that, I'm guilty there. And Man, that person needed, needed uh, lunch at work, and they had left their wallet, and I didn't offer to pay, and now I feel guilty about that. And if we don't understand the gospel... We will beat ourselves up in guilt or we will raise ourselves up in pride. We must understand the beauty of the gospel because guardrails with no gospel is bondage. We want to create gospel feelings and gospel habits and grace-centered feelings and grace-centered habits. So secondly, the power to establish 
and live with guardrails is only found in the gospel. That's the obvious from number one, but I wanted to see the positive side and not just highlight the negative, okay? <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3 says this, For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. That's the gospel. He condemned sin in the flesh. The power to live this life of condemnation of sin, living unto righteousness with God, is not found in your good works and your ability and your striving. It is found in the beauty of the grace of the gospel. It is not found this morning in what you can do. It is found this morning in what Jesus has already done. This is not how much more good can you muster up, how many more boundaries can you put up to make yourself feel better or maybe look better to other people. It's not about what you can muster up. It's not about what you can accomplish. Establishing biblical guardrails is all about living in and experiencing a grace-saturated life. Here's what it looks like, church. Instead of, I have to, I get to. Instead of, well, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus, I could go do this. And it's, man, what a what a privilege it is to live in this freedom. What a privilege. I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail. And this is not in my notes. The Holy Spirit smacked me in the head with it. Sometimes. I think we, we don't think of freedom in the right way. We think of freedom in our culture as the ability to do whatever we want to do. Do you know that is not freedom? Because your freedom ends where someone else's freedom begins. Does that make sense? Let me explain it to you. Acadia Street. Driving the left lane from here to Club Boulevard. Because you're free to do it. Freedom. I can do whatever I want. If you don't hit a car on Club Boulevard, I mean, to Club Boulevard, go ahead and drive in the left lane on Club Boulevard. Real quickly, we'll, we'll figure out, right? Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. You know what freedom really is? Maybe this is going to tie in. It's establishing, like, legitimate biblical fences and guardrails, right? Like, this is what the Bible and then I can run around in those guardrails like your dog in your backyard. Tim and Carla, I'm just kidding. They got a new dog. They're experiencing all the dog stuff. How many of you have a, a pet? All right, there's something about it, right? There's something about your pet having, you know, the fences there. And you know what your dog can do? Do whatever your dog wants to do. But how I many of you, if your dog's like mine, if your dog finds its way outside the fence, we got problems. You know what there is no more when that dog gets outside that fence? You know what? There's no more freedom. Oh, that dog might think he's free. I can tell you what my dog's going to do. My dog is attached to some cars. My dog would run and find the nearest car and fall up underneath that car as quickly as possible. I promise you. Poor little girl. Do you understand that concept? Freedom is actually found in biblical parameters. 
you are free. Jesus has given you freedom from sin that's outside, from sin that's outside of this life. Anyway, that was not the purpose. The purpose is the power to establish and live with guardrails as found in the gospel. If you, this morning, are trusting in your ability to have uh, character and your ability to be diligent and your ability to pull up your boot, yourself by your bootstraps every week, if you're trusting in that, you are going to fail. And when you fail, you are going to feel guilty. Can I be honest with you? If you will understand the gospel and his grace, and you will do all those same things, guess what? Every now and then you know what you're going to do? You're going to fail. Be honest with you. Even if you're just relying on him, you're going to fail every now and then. But you know what? You're not going to feel guilty. You're going to feel grace. You're going, to pull, you're going to feel him pulling you along in a closer relationship with him. So the question is today, do you want to feel in your life when you mess up or when things don't happen the way that they ought to happen, do you want to feel the guilt or do you want to feel his grace? <clears throat> Thirdly, and then we're going to give some practical things to go. Believers freed from sin should no longer strive in sin. Believers freed from sin should no longer strive in sin. Romans chapter 6, the first two verses. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? Certainly not. How, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It's another concept of freedom. We have been freed from sin. We have been freed from sin, so why are we going to go in and lock ourselves up again in sin? Notice what it says, though. It does not say that they should no longer sin. It doesn't say that. We will all struggle with sin. It says that you would continue in sin. It says that you would live in sin. A believer who has been arrested by the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ should not live a life that is bent towards sin. Here's a quote that I want us to understand. In the life of a believer, sin should always be a struggle, not a surrender. Listen to me this morning. In the life of a follower of Jesus, we will struggle with sin. We still have this flesh. We still have the appetites of this flesh. But in the life of a follower of Jesus, it should never turn into a, a surrender. A giving up. I love it when I have people come to my office or say they want to meet me for lunch or you know meet me for coffee. Y'all know what that means. Meet me for water, and and they say things like because I ain't getting coffee. Um, they say things like, "Man, I'm really struggling." That's the word. And you know what? I don't say this all the time. You know what I'm thinking in my head? Awesome. As long as we're struggling with sin, man, we can help. It's when we surrender to it and we don't care, and it doesn't bother us, and it doesn't affect us, and that's where there's true problems. If you're struggling with sin this morning, congratulations. Because you are a true follower of Jesus who is being convicted by the Holy Spirit of wrong that you're doing in your life. And guess what? The Holy Spirit can give you victory, and you'll probably struggle with something else in the future. But sin should be a struggle. It should not be a surrender. 
The follower of Jesus, the life of a follower of Jesus should not be marked by sin. It should be marked by our Savior. So how do we take this gospel foundation and how do we now develop personal guardrails? How do we do that? We know that scripture says things like flee fornication. I believe we would all agree this is the will of God that you flee fornication. But how do we get from that that verse, that truth, to a practical way of gospel-centered living that incorporates practical guardrails in our lives. Flea fornication is not the only one. Here are other examples. How about forsake not the assembly? How do we take that in Scripture, and then how do we develop a guardrail of how we are going to interact with our church? How do we take that we should parent with nurture and admonition? That's a great balance. How do we take that command and then how do we set up a practical guardrail of this is the way that we are going to parent? These are the guardrails we're going to place in our lives as parents. How do we take the instruction to keep our minds pure? To set no wicked thing before our eyes? To keep the things that are coming in to be pure and lovely, of good report, truth. How do we take that teaching and how do we apply that? Oh, practically. Guardrails. What about God's teaching on divorce? Like, like how do we apply that, okay? If, if I know that, that, that God is for marriages, okay, then how do we develop guardrails in our marriage that keeps us on that track? Practical things. And I want to try to help this morning. There are others, by the way, other examples. The Lord tells us to not be angry, sinfully. So what, what can we take from that now practically? Some guardrails, right? That we, need. we could go on down the list. Remember, we cannot be driven by the law. We must be driven by the gospel. We must not develop these guardrails in order to attain a certain spiritual status. We must develop guardrails because of what Jesus has given us in the gospel. I cannot emphasize that enough because if you only take the final eight minutes of this sermon that's about to happen and you only listen to these eight minutes, like you're going to be a beautiful legalist. You're going to be really good at setting up personal standards and then if you're not careful, you're going to start holding other people to your personal standards. If we understand the gospel, here's what we do. Here's the process. It's very simple. It's a four-step process. We analyze God's word. We analyze God's word for ourselves. Listen, it's a privilege and honor that I get to do every, every Sunday to get up here and preach God's word to you. I love it. I enjoy it. It's, one of, it's, it's, it's part of my assignment in life from God is to communicate his truth to his people. But it does not replace you as a follower of Jesus, digging into God's word and analyzing it for yourself. Analyzing God's word. It means that you should have a, I believe you should have a regular time. I would love for your time to be every day where you open up God's word and you, you listen to his voice through his word. 
And you get to a place where you can be quiet. For some of you, I know I've spoken to you, and you say that in your car, you can play it through your Bible app and your, uh, in your car, and you're able to listen to Scripture when no one else is around as you're driving into work. That's excellent. There should be some, some time on a regular basis. Now, that doesn't mean if you, if you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this every day, and you mess up, like, it's, it's okay. Like, it's fine. One of the truths that, like, wrecked me about seven, eight years ago is God is going to love you the same if you woke up this morning and read his Bible than if you woke up this morning and skipped it. He still lo- he loves you the same. Like, give yourself some grace. But, but, we should be digging into God's word. And there should be some times when we read God's word that we say, oh, wow. Man, that's convicting. That's an area of my life that I know I need to look at. We need to analyze God's word. And what I would do is if I found a verse that was speaking, that, that stood out to me, I would then go and try to find other verses that spoke about the same thing. And maybe if you have a Bible that has like a cross-reference and you can look at other passages of the text of Scripture and there's tons of study guides and things online that help you do this as well. I personally use BibleGateway.com. If, you, if you're ever looking for one, it's very easy and has cross-references, footnotes, and all those things in it that you can add and take away. <coughs> but I would find other supporting verses and find out what does the Bible say about this. Okay. Man, the Bible says flee fornication here. It also says... Do not commit adultery in the Ten Commandments, okay? So it was Old Testament, New Testament, okay? Analyze God's Word. Know it for yourself. Study it for yourself. Second step, analyze God's Word, number one. Second step, confirm the context. Confirm the context. You say, Josh, why? Because taking the Bible out of context has done more harm to the cause of Christianity than any other thing, in my opinion, in the church. Outside of, you know, straight up unbelief. If we didn't understand context today, the fact that you are wearing a shirt that could be 60% cotton and 40% polyester would be a violation of an Old Testament teaching. Okay? We must understand context. Can I simply help you with this? I've tried to teach this throughout the five years here. Can I explain just a couple of questions that you can ask yourself just to like start down the road of context? What did it mean for them? Okay, this was written to somebody, a church in Colossae, a church in Philippi. This was sent to the Christians at Rome, a diverse group of Jews and Gentiles. What did this mean for them? Like, try to put yourself back in that day. And then secondly, what does it mean for us? It can't mean something for us today that it didn't also mean for them back then. It's a way to keep us out of, like, weird, spooky, odd teachings. Okay? Confirm the context. Now, there are certain things 
ain't no context needed. It is super clear. It's, it's repeated multiple times in Scripture. It's repeated Old Testament, New Testament multiple times. It is for the church. It was for God's uh, chosen people, the children of Israel. It was for everybody in between. It was for the Jews, the Gentiles, the Greeks, everybody, the Assyrians, all of them. It was for everybody. But there are some that we'd make, we do need to confirm the context. So we analyze God's word. We make sure we understand what it means for us. Context. <clears throat> Thirdly, and this is, I'm not going to say this is a necessary step. But it is for me. Identify the principle. Sometimes it can be redundant with what you find in God's word. But I find a verse like flea fornication. And I make sure it's in context. And then the principle that I arrive from that is I need to keep myself sexually pure. I do not need to indulge in the lust of my flesh when it comes to sexuality. That's my principle. I need to be, here's a principle that I gained from that. I need to be a biblical husband. That's a principle I gained from that. I need to be a biblical father. That is a principle I gain from that. I need to be a biblical leader of Keystone Church. That is a principle, a pure leader. That's a principle I gain from flea fornication. Okay? The others, forsaking not the assembly. Okay? So what I get from that is, the principle that I gather is, Being around my fellow believers in the local church is important. That's the principle I gather from that. Another principle I could gather from that is, as I prioritize my life and what I will say yes to and what I will say no to, I need to clearly define where my church attendance ranks in priority. Leave it. Pin drop. We hadn't got to the personal guardrail yet. Y'all just wait for that one. Keeping your mind pure. That's the truth. The principle is similar to flea fornication. Not only do I need to keep my actions pure, I need to, I need to filter the things that are coming in to my eyes and to my ears because those things make their way to my heart. And we're going to get to the practical. I know you can already kind of, okay, 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 I, I get it. Like, So, analyze God's word, confirm the context, identify the principle, and now fourthly, develop the personal guardrail. Before I give you examples, can I highlight a word? Personal. Before we close this morning, These are personal guardrails. It is unfair and unbiblical for Josh to impose his personal guardrails on Tim. Romans 14 told us we will live and die to ourselves. We will all stand before God and give an account 
personally. It doesn't mean that we don't live in community. It doesn't mean that we don't hold each other accountable. But it means that I make personal guardrails in my life that could be different than Tim's personal guardrails in his life. And guess what? We can stand up on this stage together and put our arms around each other. We're not really like that, but it's all good. We can put our arms around each other, and we can worship Jesus together, and we can, and we can hang out as families together, and we can be close friends. We've known each other for, Lord have mercy, 23, 4 years now. And we can have different personal guardrails. Because it's personal. Now, God's word, that's for everyone. Getting the context, that's for everyone. I will say this, the principle, that's for everyone. How you apply it to your personal guardrail is between you and God's Holy Spirit. And if you need assistance, maybe a spiritual Christian leader in your life that would help you develop some. Here's, here's how it works. We've, we've talked about it. Analyze God's word. Flee fornication. Confirm the context. Man, it's, it's been that way from the beginning of time. We know it's true. Identify the principle. I need to be pure. I need to be a good husband. I need to be a good father. I need to be a pure leader of this church. <clears throat> Develop the personal guardrail. Here it is. Here's one of them. I will not meet with someone here alone with my office door shut. And if it is so sensitive and I can't get anyone here and I have to shut the door, we have this big window that's open on my door and an even bigger window open on my wall. That is a guardrail. Here's another guardrail. If there's a lady in the church or outside the church that's like, hey, I want to run something by you, <clears throat> can we grab lunch? Just for me? That's a guardrail to have up. Like, my answer typically is, oh, Sarah and I would love to grab lunch with you sometime. It's a personal guardrail. You might be sitting here going, Josh, I think that's, I think that's a little ridiculous. That's fine. I'm not asking you to put the same guardrail in your life. I think it's wise, but I'm not telling you to do that. That's your personal guardrail. And there are many others. My wife and I have some social media guardrails that we have put up for each of us. And by the way, can I say this very practically this morning? You live in 2022. All your spouses, exes, and all them people they used to know and all that mess they used to run around with, they're all on all those platforms you should put up some guardrails. I don't care how secure you think you're, you are in everything. You should put up some guardrails. It's becoming a major issue. Put up some guardrails. What about forsake not the assembly? Found it in God's word. We confirmed the context. It was written to the New Testament church. What does it mean for us? What is it? What's the principle? I ought to prioritize in my, in my life. I ought to prioritize and make it important to attend church. So what does that mean for my wife and I? Does that mean we never, ever, ever miss church? It doesn't. And I'm the pastor. I'm going I'm to help y'all out here. Y'all get mad at me if you want to. When I go on vacation, I typically watch our church online and don't go. You know why? Because this is kind of like my job. 
And when you go on vacation, you don't go. If you work at a hospital, you don't go on a vacation and then go to a hospital to hang out on your vacation. Y'all know, you look, you can disagree with that. I know people that are like, man, we go on vacation. I'm going to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night on vacation. That's fine. We don't have that personal guardrail. That's okay. But you know what we do have? If we're here and we're not sick and we're not working, we're here. If we're not sick and we're not working and we're not out of town, we're here. It takes priority. Here's, here's a question for you. And I'm just, I, I told you all this was teachy. I said it in my prayer. This is teachy this morning. You need to be able to answer that question. Hey, the family comes in town from out of state. Does that rank priority or do you say, hey, for a couple hours, why don't you come to church with us? It's just one service. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm, I'm saying that you need, to, you need to prioritize that and I'm not going to judge you. I'm just saying you don't need to let those things happen to you without, without making like a, this is how we are. This is who we're going to be. This is the way we're going to operate. I know this, and I will say this. I do this because I'm a pastor. There are many times when we go on vacation that we plan our vacations. Guess when our vacations start? Sunday at 12 noon. And guess when they end? Saturday night as late as we can get home. And I understand that. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be honest today in this one part of this message. All right, now, um, if I was not a pastor of a church, I might not be as strong on that as I am. I understand that. I'm not trying to be ridiculous with you today. I'm saying we ought to know where the church and its attendance ranks in our priority list. And we ought to make choices and put guardrails up in our lives to reflect that. Is that fair? Parenting. I'm not going to go through the whole list of it. Parenting. Based upon what the Bible says, there ought to be some things you will allow or you will do as a parent and some things you will not do or will not allow as a parent based upon what God's word says. And here's a good way. This, was a, this is a great one to know if you're legit or not. When your kids ask you why, your answer cannot always be because I said so. Now, every kid in this room, y'all ready? From the youngest to the oldest, y'all listen to me. Every kid, you ready? Look up here. God, I woke y'all up. The whole row. I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. Unless you wake. All right, good. Every kid in here, listen to me. Your parent gets like a specific number, and it's a whole lot more than what you think of times to say because I said so. Do not say, well, Pastor Josh said that's a terrible excuse for having a, it's not, listen, give your parent, your parents get a bunch of those cards, okay? But parents, can we be honest? We ought, that, that, that principle or that guardrail will be tested. And we need to be able to say, well, here's why. Let me walk you back through. Here's the biblical principle. Here's what we learned in the context. This is what we read in God's word. And this is why I developed that. You say, Josh, man, you didn't preach the house down today. It wasn't my goal to preach the house down today. That's not my style anyway. You know what my goal today was and is? It's that we have serious, committed followers of Jesus who have a certain way of living and they can articulate to unbelievers and believers alike of this is why we 
live this way. This is why if you invite me to fill in the blank, this is why I say no. It's okay. Or this is why I say yes and I enjoy myself and maybe that makes you uncomfortable. This is why when you invite my family to this certain thing, we tend to not be able to make it. If you're you're asking, here's why. It's very simple. This is the process. This is why when you show up at my house on a Saturday, I'm going to say, hey, listen, we take off for church about 9.15. We'd love to have you join us. You don't have to come, but then we'll be back around 11.30, 11.45. That's just us. Once again, it doesn't have to be you. But I am saying this. No one lives life without guardrails. Okay? Anyway, I got, I got a funny. Things pop in my head when I'm preaching, y'all, and I'm really sorry. I've had people say before that, like, because our family is a little bit freer in certain areas, and one of them being, like, uh, like our dress and things like that with our daughters. I had someone say before, if you're not careful, you'll have no You'll have no guidelines. I'm like, what do you think we're going to run around with no clothes on? Like, I don't understand. Like, everybody lives with some sort of, like, guardrail. Like, that's a reality. And so what I want you to do today is I want you to take some inventory of your life. And I want you to to start thinking about what does the Bible say about it? What does it mean? What's the principle? And then how am I going to operate in the actual, practical, day-to-day Life. You say, Josh, there wasn't a lot of gospel preaching in that today. Well, we started with it because if you don't understand the gospel and you understood everything else that we said, like I said, you are going to make an incredible Pharisee. You're going to be like Pharisee to the max. You will be like Nicodemus, but you'll never come to Jesus. I'm just kidding. But I don't want... I don't want today for us to miss the foundation. Develop all the rules and develop all the regulations. Develop all the guardrails. If you do it apart from understanding grace, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that to you today. I didn't mean to push you to that today. That's not my intention. My intention for you today is to go, man, Jesus has done so much for me. He is my everything. He has saved my soul. He has changed my life. He has changed my heart. He has changed my family. Man, my outlook is so much different. And man, his word says this, and this is the way I'm going to practically apply it and live it in my life. And I'm going to be happy about it. And if I can't do certain things, it's all good, man. I saved some money. I don't have to do that. If I am going to go do things, great. I'm going to, I want to enjoy it. I'll do that. But we must be fully convinced, developing biblical, personal guardrails. Heavenly Father. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.